0: Today's reading, <clears throat> today's reading is from Hebrews chapter 4 beginning at verse 14. This can be found on page 1203 of the Church Bibles or behind me on the screen. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God... Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among the people, and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honour on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now we're going to turn over the page to chapter 7, beginning at verse 23. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Well, good morning. Good morning. For those of you who I don't know, my name is uh, John. Uh, I don't know why I said that as if I was unsure. My name is John, uh, and I'm the uh, I'm the curate here. I'm part of the staff team. Why don't we pray uh, and then we'll jump into God's word? So, if you've had that open, do keep it open. If you've not, open it up in front of you. Uh, but why don't I pray? Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it speaks to us life and truth and hope and that it points us to Jesus. And God, we pray that it would do all of that for us this morning. Would we see Jesus Christ as we come to your word now? Would you be with each of us as we listen to what you have to say? Would you be with me as I speak? God, would you fill each of us with your spirit? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I think it's amazing how quickly uh, that you and I as human beings take things for granted. And I don't think anything illustrates that point any more clearly than these things that most of us are carrying around uh, in our pockets. Uh, This is uh, an iPhone. This is my iPhone. Uh, The iPhone first came out uh, 12 years ago. Just 12 years ago. Uh, But in that time, they've completely transformed our lives for better or for worse. It's not what I'm here to talk about, but they have changed our lives. If you're anything like me, you'll use them to send messages and to call people and to email people. Uh, it's my wallet and uh, it directs me when I'm driving in the car. I use it to do work and to keep in touch with friends. I listen to music. I browse the internet. I do basically everything on my mobile phone. It's completely changed my life. They are incredible pieces of technology. But you can tell that at least I have taken it for granted because I'm no longer impressed by all the things that it can do. I just become annoyed when it doesn't work. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, the internet is amazing, but for some reason I'm not impressed by it. But when I can't instantly kind of Wikipedia, when I don't know, whatever happened, I get frustrated that I don't have the world's information at my fingertips. I take this wondrous piece of technology for granted. And the reason that I bring this up is is because I think you and I do this all the time with, with loads of different things. But perhaps no more significantly than the fact that I think you and I do this with Jesus Christ. I think we take Jesus for granted. Because here's the thing. For many of us here, not for all of us, but for many of us here... All we will have ever known is the reality of the difference that Jesus Christ makes in how we relate to God. Maybe you grew up in a Christian household and it's all you've ever known. But if that isn't your story, maybe you grew up in a country like the UK or, or another one where the reality of who Jesus is and how he's changed what it means to engage with God has entirely transformed Uh, our philosophy, our understanding of religion, our society. If you've grown up in the UK or a similar country, you've probably never known another way of thinking about God. Or even if that wasn't your story, maybe you've been a Christian for long enough that you've forgotten what it's like to not know Jesus as the one who makes relationship with God possible. I think you and I often take Jesus for granted. We don't remember just how much he's done for us, just how important he is, just how much we need him. And so what we're at risk of doing is pushing him to the side, forgetting what he's done, forgetting that he's essential to every aspect of life in this world, of relationship with God, of what it means to be a human being. Being. We forget that he is essential to how we relate to our loving creator, God. And the author of Hebrews knew that this was a risk that we would run into. Because time and time again throughout this book, if you've been here as you've been looking at it, or if you've been reading it at home, as, as David suggested, That we we all did. If you've been reading and engaging with Hebrews, you'll know that time and time again, he wants to remind us who Jesus is, how important all he's done is for us. And in the passage that we just read this morning, the author is getting to the central core of that point that he wants to make. He he tells us here that we're in desperate need of Jesus because he is our great high priest. To put it another way, Jesus is our greater representative. The author wants to tell us that Jesus is the one who stands in the gap between God and humanity, a gap that many of us never realized was there in the first place. Jesus is our greater representative, and it's that point the author of Hebrews is trying to make that that I'd like us to spend our time thinking about this morning. But to understand why that's so significant, why it's so important, we need to just take a moment to understand uh, why a priest is something that we need. Why is it a big deal that Jesus is our great high priest? What was a priest to the people that the author of Hebrews was writing in the first place? Because I think we often misunderstand this. I think we often forget that that the ancient Israelites of Jesus' time knew that God loved them. They knew that he was their loving father and lord. But they also knew that they were separated from God by their sin. Because God was holy and they were not. There was a gulf between them. And I think in that, in in sinfulness and in holiness and the problem that that causes, we come across some slightly foreign concepts uh, for for life today and how we understand what it means to relate to God. So we're just going to quickly think about those. So, the problem that the ancient Israelites realized that they had was that they were sinful. And to say that we're sinful, many of us will know, is to say that you and I have done wrong. The Russian novelist, prepare to be impressed by this cultured reference. The Russian novelist, oh I'm not going to say the name right now, Alexander, oh no I've lost it, Solznytskin, yes, Alexander Solznytskin, it was going to be sophisticated and then I ruined it. Anyway, the Russian novelist said this. Let's call him Alex. The line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. He recognized that evil isn't something that's out there. It's something that's in here. And if we're really honest with ourselves, I think this is something that we know is true. Every day you and I fall short of the good that we want to do. We slip into the bad that we want to avoid. But the ancient Israelites knew that sin was an even bigger problem than that. Because sin was more than just is more than just moral failure. Sin is kind of like a pollutant. Sin gets into our souls and into our relationships and into the world that it infects everything that it touches with death and evil. All that is to say is that our sin, we know this, don't we? Our sin has consequences. A harsh word damages a relationship. Misstep can derail our lives and the lives of others. You and I have sinned and sin is a problem because God is holy. It's another foreign concept, perhaps. To say that God is holy is to say that he is unique and powerful and pure. And God's holiness is intense, the Bible tells us. It's so intense that it's dangerous for anything that's impure, anything that's been polluted by sin and evil, to get too close to God. Because God's holiness is so intense that it destroys everything that isn't Holy, and that's not because it's bad or or there's something to be afraid of in that kind of bad sense. Uh, But it's because it's so intensely good that it that it can't stand to be in the presence of things that are impure. You know, perhaps a a way to think about it is is to think of the sun. You know, in this metaphor, we could describe the sun as being holy, because the sun in our solar system uh, is unique. There's nothing else like it. And it's powerful. It's powerful enough to, to be the source of life for everything on our planet. But we know, don't we, that if we got too close to the sun, it wouldn't do us much good. You know, If you stay out in the sun for too long, even 93 million miles away from it, it, it does us damage. It's so intense that it's dangerous to get close to you. And God's holiness is, is sort of the same. And the ancient Israelites knew that this was a problem. God loved them. They loved God, but they couldn't get close to him. And so God, we read in the the Old Testament, in those strange first few books of the Bible, God gave Israel a solution. And it was the priests. Because the priests, through sacrifice and worship, were able to heal the divide between God and humanity. They were able to remove the people's impurity and bring them close to God again. And they do this as people taken out of the hole, as representatives of all of Israel and as representatives of God. They'd stand in the middle and do what we couldn't do by ourselves, bring us close to our Lord. And so it's into this context that the author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is not just any priest. He's not just any high priest, but he is our great high priest. He's the one to whom this whole system has always been pointing. He's our greater representative who once and for all dealt with the problem of God and his people being separated By sin. And the way that Jesus did that is by perfectly fulfilling the two sided role of a priest. As humanity's representative, he washed away the impurity of sin. And as God's representative to us, he came close. So that God and humanity were no longer far apart, but that we had drawn near. So let's think about those two things. Let's think first about how Jesus dealt with our sin. And the author of Hebrews reminds us uh, of this part of the priest job in verse 1 of chapter 5. Have a look at that with me. He says this, he says, every high priest is selected to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. This was the role of the priest, but Jesus wasn't any priest. He's our great high priest, our greater representative who was able to do immeasurably more than had ever been done before. And this is where we jump ahead to chapter 7 and verse 27. We're told this, unlike the other high priests, Jesus does not need to offer sacrifices day after day. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all. When he offered himself. You see the priests of Jesus' day. Would have to keep on sacrificing. Over and over again. Because we know what we're like. We don't just sin and it's dealt with. And then we move on. We keep on sinning. And that repeated sin. Would, would bring more pollution and impurity. Into the lives of God's people. And so new sacrifices would be needed. Day after But the author of Hebrews reminds us that Jesus' sacrifice was different because he sacrificed himself on the cross. And verse 26 of chapter 7 tells us what sort of sacrifice he was. As God himself became human, Jesus was holy and pure and perfect. And so unlike all the other sacrifices that had come before it, Jesus' sacrifice wasn't a temporary solution. It didn't just make us pure until we did something to pollute ourselves again and then we're in the same mess all over again. No, Jesus is so powerful and so holy that when he died in our place, he didn't just purify us, but he transformed us. And the Bible says that because of that transformation. You and I are no longer primarily defined by the mistakes that we make. We're no longer primarily defined as people who are sinful or impure. Now the Bible calls those who put their faith and trust in Jesus holy. Through what he did, Jesus has made us holy. He's made us pure. He's set us apart. He's made it so that the stain of sin can't stick onto us anymore. It makes me think of those new waterproof coats that you can get that are, are so water repellent that water just bounces off of them and stains just bounce off of them. And it's kind of like that with us. You know, of course we still make mistakes. Of course we still feel the pain and the influence of sin. But because of what Jesus has done to his people, it no longer sticks It rolls off of us. Jesus has dealt with it and made us pure once and for all. And so you and I, no longer infected by sin, can come into the presence of our holy and loving God. So maybe you're here uh, this morning and you're a Christian but you can't shake the feeling of guilt and shame that hangs over you because of the things that you've done because you know yourself you know yourself better than the people around you and you know you've made some bad mistakes you know you've done some things that have brought pollution into your life and into the lives of others and you know what it's it's worse than that you keep on doing it. It didn't just happen once in the past but you keep on making that same mistake. Time and time again you do things that you know in your soul are not good for you. You know I know this is the story of of at least someone listening to me this morning because this is my story. This is me. I sin. I mess up. I've made mistakes and I keep on making them. I'm my own worst enemy. But Christian, hear me. Jesus has made you pure. You are holy because of what Jesus has done for you. There's nothing that could ever get between you and your loving heavenly father. No sin, no mistake, no failure Guilt doesn't need to hang over you like a cloud because God no longer sees you as impure. Your mistakes don't define you. Jesus is your great high priest and he has perfectly, forever, once and for all, dealt with your sin. He's brought you close to God. You've been set free from your mistakes. That's the first thing that Jesus does for us as our greater representative. But the second thing is that he brings God close to us, making God's love and care real in our lives. The author of Hebrews describes this part of the role of the priest in verse two of chapter five. Priests understood the people that they were representing because they were one of the people. And because of this, they were able to act as God's representatives to the people sharing with them God's love and compassion in the places that they needed it most. And in chapter 4 verse 15 we find out that Jesus did exactly the same thing. It says this. It says for we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin. And this is, again, a theme that the author of Hebrews has been coming back to time and time again. Jesus understands us because he is one of us. And he's gone through the things that we go through. Jesus is not only fully God, holy and pure and good, but he's also fully human. And so he understands what it's like to face struggles and suffering, and sin, and temptation, like we do. You know, I think we often think of Jesus as some kind of superhero, who kind of flies in to save the situation, but never really gets down into the dirt. He kind of hovers above it all, and experiences all the the heights of the human experience, but he doesn't touch the dirty bits, and the awkward bits. But that isn't what the Bible tells us that Jesus is like because he gets down in the dirt and experiences the depths of the human experience. He was born into poverty. He was misunderstood and misrepresented in his life. He was betrayed and ultimately murdered probably went through about three decades of normal human life with all the temptations and opportunities to sin that we go through. I mean, he was a teenager, for goodness sake. He knew what it was like to be tempted. Jesus knew what it was like to be human. But the good news for us is that unlike us, he never gave in to that sin and temptation. But he faced it every day and defeated it. He did what we could not do and so what all of this means is that if you're going through difficulties, if you're struggling with temptation or the consequences of your sin or the sins of others, Jesus is standing there with you. He understands, he's been there before and he wants to walk with you through those dark, low, uncomfortable parts of what it means to be human and to bring you out the other side. God isn't just close to you when everything is going well. In fact, the Bible tells us that God is close to the broken hearted. He's with you, even, perhaps especially, when everything is going wrong, even when you're the cause of those things going wrong. I wonder do you realize how much Jesus has done for you? He's dealt with your sin so that you can draw near to a holy God. But even more than that, as God himself, he hasn't waited for you to climb out of the mess that you've made or others have made of your life to get to him. No, he's jumped down into the mess to be close to you. And in that closeness, he understands you. He has compassion for you. He's been there before and he loves you. All of this leads the author of Hebrews to a simple conclusion. In verse 16 of chapter 4, he says this, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Do you need mercy? Do you need mercy that washes away your guilt and assures you of God's forgiveness? Jesus says, come close, come to God's throne with confidence. Do you need grace, the strength to live boldly in this world that doesn't want to go in the same way that Christ calls you? Strength and power to live for God in a dark world. Come close to God, the author of Hebrews tells us, through Jesus with confidence. We can draw close. God has mercy and grace for us. Draw near. I love that we're told to do it with confidence. It's, it's the picture of, of a child coming close to their father. You don't need to come with, with a certain ritual or pomp and ceremony. A child just climbs onto the lap of their parent and asks for what is theirs. And in God, in Christ, what is yours is grace and mercy. Jesus has done more for us than I think we remember, than sometimes I think we appreciate. But when we remember, we remember that what we're invited to is to draw close to God and receive all that we need. So why don't we do that now? Why don't we draw near to God? I'm going to pray. And why don't we come close to God? So God, we know that you're here. And we know that because of Jesus, we have access to you. And we know that when we come close We find forgiveness, our guilt is washed away, and you give us strength for today. And so I pray, God, that as we draw near to you, would you draw near to us and would we know your power at work in our lives. And for some of us here this morning, we we will have never drawn close to God like this before, Maybe you've never known Jesus as your greater representative. But this morning he says, trust in me. Come to me and find forgiveness and life. So if that's you, if you've never come close to God through Christ, why don't you just pray now and take a moment to say sorry for the things that you've done wrong, knowing that Jesus washes away the pollution of sin say thank you that he died as a sacrifice for all that you've done and say please God would you come close to me and give me your mercy and grace and as John was praying earlier some of us have been carrying things that we feel like we have to deal with ourselves. But God reminds us this morning that there's mercy and grace for us in our deepest and darkest moments. So God, would you draw near to us as we draw near to you?